successful leadership is not so tangible, right? It, it's definitely something you work at and you know when you're doing well and you know when you're not doing so well, but it's not so measurable that you can't implement a change and measure the change exactly. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? It's episode 94. This week, we're giving you a history lesson in robotics. Our guest is Scott Lindemann, and he's seen a thing or two when it comes to robotics. This guy has over 30 years of engineering and leadership experience in this space, from his long tenure with JR Automation to where he is now as the CEO of Mission Design and Automation, a Western Michigan-based robotics integrator and automation company. It's only appropriate that he takes us through the world of robotics then and now in today's episode. First, Scott will share his story and what it was like formally entering the field of robotics back in the 80s. We'll discuss how he's seen technology in the industry evolve and some of the things that he feels are still the same. Second, we'll have a good old-fashioned automation discussion. We talk about how automation impacts more than just the bottom line of the balance sheet, as well as a topic we love covering on this show, how small and mid-sized players can leverage the power of automation today. Finally, with this year's big Automate show on the horizon, Scott shares some of the history behind that event dating back to when it used to be called the Robot Show. We'll discuss Michigan's manufacturing heritage and Scott's tips for attending a trade show. Now, if you want to check out the show notes page for this episode, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 94. You don't know this yet, but this episode is jammed with resources, books, videos, bar recommendations. All of these things are important on Manufacturing Happy Hour. So if you want to access anything that Scott and I discuss, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 94. Finally, I mentioned it here in the intro, but Automate 2022 is on the horizon. This is the last episode that we're airing before that event kicks off on June 6th, 2022 in Detroit, Michigan. Highly recommend you attend. I am going to be there all week doing interviews like this on site. And if you want to attend for free, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate 2022 to register today. I hope to see you there in Detroit. And I'm sure Scott hopes to see you in Detroit as well. He's our guest this week. Like I said, we're talking Michigan manufacturing. So with that, let's jump into the episode. It's time to meet up with Scott Lindemann. Scott, it is great to have you here. I feel like finally have you on the show. Been looking forward to an excuse to have you on for a while. And, and you know, let's say we're on your home turf in Michigan having this conversation in person. I mean, you and I will be both in Michigan here in a couple weeks. Yep. But yep. Uh, if, if we were having this conversation over a beverage, where would that be? Uh, one of the best places is the Itty Bitty Bar down on uh, Lakeshore Drive in Holland. It's a great little five-star dive bar, it's called. And uh, we like to go and hang out there for sure. Chris, you're welcome anytime. Look forward to it. All right, five-star dive bar. I uh, I get up to the Upper Peninsula every once in a while. I've been meaning to make my way over to, like, Western Michigan. Yeah, for sure. Later. You're welcome anytime. 
Well, uh, we'll need to make that happen at some point. But today's conversation, we're going to be covering some ground. We're going to be talking about your history in robotics and automation. We'll be talking, we'll be having a good old-fashioned automation conversation and talking a little bit about manufacturing in Michigan, given that for the folks that are listening to this in May 2022, Automate, the big Automate show is right around sure, the corner. Man. Coming right up. But we got to start with getting to know you. And, and my first question is very direct. So you got a degree in robotics and you started pursuing this in 1985. Why? That seems like a really progressive move back then. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, it's a great story. And I like to tell people from time to time, it gives a little perspective of uh, how long 30 years ago was and what's changed in the last 30 years too. But uh, true story, when I was uh, going through high school and I was working on farms, working on equipment, lawnmowers, tractors, whatever you do, growing up in those days with uh, my, my grandpa one time said, he goes, uh, why don't you go learn about those robot things? And that was about enough that it took me, right? And in those days, you... Uh, you either went to college where your dad went to school or you went to the guidance counselor in high school and they found out uh, what you wanted to do. And so I went into my guidance counselor and I said, hey, I want to learn about these robot things. So she stood up and went through her file cabinet in the back and uh, she came out and said, hey, there's two colleges that teach robotics. It's Lake Superior State University or Georgia Tech. So we went to Lake Superior State because it was close enough, but far enough away from home also. But uh a great place to get an education, right? In those days, uh, they had a full uh, robot lab. We had a lot of uh, good hands-on experience, learning how robots work, learning to write kinematic equations, your own vision algorithms and blob finding. Everything had to be done uh, from scratch. So we learned a lot from the professors up there. Very hands-on, low-level learning, and uh, very practical learning as well. Mm -hmm. And I really uh, benefited from that over the years. But I think the perspective is amazing because if you went to uh, a young person now, they're going to already be exposed to robotics in their elementary schools and middle school programs. There's high schools, a good percentage of them have robotic programs and, and robots in their places. And if you went into Google and typed it in, I'm sure you're going to get more than two universities now that are teaching robotics programs. But uh, yeah, definitely was an interesting thing. And again, the, the robotics blends so much technology together. It was, it was really powerful to help a person that's in, uh, technically based to just be involved, mechanical, electrical, software, uh, dynamic stuff. Um, very, very interesting to keep attention for a good 30 years I've been doing this and I, uh, I look forward to every day still as a challenge. So Yeah, and you, you gave some insights into the curriculum there, right? You're writing some of your own algorithms, you're doing kinematics. And for our listeners that don't know where Lake State is, it's up. It's like the very east end of the Upper Peninsula, basically yeah. Canada, right? Sault Ste. Yeah. Marie, I think, is the town. Yep, it is the last exit before you go over the bridge to Canada. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, so ends of the earth to get that robotics degree. For sure, yeah. It worked out very well, and I think it's a great place uh, to go to school great place to grow up. And as I mentioned, uh, it sure is a perspective on how things have changed over the years. And we still go up there every year and hire graduates because uh, it's a great place to get uh, the new people with the learning the new technologies every day. Well, well, speaking of change, you know, you've been doing this for a while. What's something you notice about the state of robotics now that let's say someone without 30 years of experience might not see? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. The way the way I one of the biggest things I like to talk about is how the technology curve 
continues to accelerate. If you think about where computers were 30 years ago, let alone five years ago and 10 years ago, and how the technology that's inside the robots has become so much more powerful, first off, to solve more and more complex problems. But at the same time, you're riding this other technology curve of ease of use and how to easily use the robots out of the box. Um, and it's really important that those two curves drive our industry forward really fast. So we get more and more technology and it's easier to use every day. And this is one of the biggest things that enables automation to become easier to implement, more widely implemented and, and easier to teach and learn and become proficient at, which only helps our entire industry of the manufacturing get better. And, it, and it's not only in robotics, but uh, those technology trends are going on in, in, across broad industries. Um, but then, you know, I have this follow-up I, I talk about a lot is as the technology changes considerably and ease of use, I talked about the hardest part of making the manufacturing world better is not gotten much easier. And that's knowing the process, knowing where the problems are and the bottlenecks and the proper use of automation and implementing that well so that it can be used every day and, and help the manufacturing process improve, get people out of the dirty, dull and dangerous jobs, whatever you want to say, but the actual application of the proper technology to the proper problem, I don't think that's changed much. It's still really hard and it requires a lot of good groundwork. And I pushed uh, a lot about that as an integrator serving manufacturers that the hardest part is to get at what is the problem, what's the real problem, and then what's the best answer to that problem. And then you need to implement it very well because you, in order to really implement automation and feel successful, it needs to run and have a high uptime and a nice ROI and be used by a variety of people uh, in the workforce for many years. And that part is still uh, difficult, right? Yeah, I like that juxtaposition you bring up there, right? The technology's changed. That's more powerful. It's easier to use. On that front, you know, things have obviously evolved. But I like what you say, hey, even after... 30 years, right? A lot of these core challenges are still the same, right? Getting to the problem, figuring out what the problem is, and then finding the right way to address it. Yeah, an example, right? If you want to make a robotic flex feeder that can feed parts out randomly, see them with a vision system, find the proper orientation for your tool, pick it up and feed it into your machine. That technology, that was my senior project in college 30 years ago. It just took six or eight months to do. And now I buy those out of the box from a variety of people but I still need to implement it properly on the proper parts. I need to tool the robot correctly and I need to have the proper system after the parts are fed, right? Uh, those challenges exist. It's just way easier and more broadly accepted that uh, the technology can solve that problem. Applying it correctly is the is the hard part. Yeah, and, and I, I'm glad we've gotten some of your sage advice on the robotics front, but you've also seen a lot of things from a people standpoint, engineering, leadership. I have a, a, a different question for you is, you know, how did your experience at like JR Automation and as, a, as an engineer prepare you for the CEO roles that you've been in and that you're in today? Yeah, and that's a nice question. You know, technical people, uh, we tend to see a problem as we want to be able to get our head around the problem. We want to solve a problem, right? It needs to be solvable and immeasurable and definable. And when you get into the leadership part of uh, of life and of, of business, it's not so measurable, right? And there's, uh, man, just myriads of books and uh, KPI measurement strategies and how you can motivate and, and measure successful leadership is really, really tough, right? So the first thing I think as a 
technical person as I grew through my career was realizing successful leadership is not so tangible, right? It, it's definitely something you work at and you know when you're doing well and you know when you're not doing so well, but it's not so measurable that you can't implement a change and measure the change exactly, right? And these are things that technical people struggle as they grow through leadership roles. So, you know, the, my advice to uh, guys, it's a natural thing, a little bit of caring for people and wanting to make things better in general. And then you really realize uh, this kind of business especially is built around the people and the, the people that are working for you and the people you're working for as customers and end users, they really have a, a lot of impact on what success looks like. So you need to have the people empowered and realize that their job is not just to do a job. The job is to take care of a problem, solve a problem and do it better than someone else and take great pleasure when you go home in that, right? So you look for motivational things more than anything as a leader. Uh, of course, then when you start talking about uh, businesses, it's a little different because there's things you do have to measure and you have to improve and things have to happen on time and on budgets and those kind of things. So you try to balance this very personal human leadership, motivational stuff with the business side of it. And I think that's one of the bigger challenges as a technical person is to realize those things exist in parallel. They're very important, both of them, and they're not in conflict. Quite honestly, if you do it well, they, they actually meld with each other very, very well. You can run a good business by having good people motivated properly. And, and I think that's one of the magic takeaways is uh, everybody thinks you have to do one or the other. And I think the real magic is to find where those things come together and be really good at that and uh, talk about it, right? It, it's not a secret. So you talk about it, you read books, you reach out to your peers and you talk about things and uh, you get better every day. Like I said, I come to work excited every day to learn. So so I'm curious, you know, what what's maybe one of the best pieces of leadership advice that you got, whether it was early in your career, later in your career? I'd love for you to share some of that with the audience. Yeah, I'll share. I, uh, as a young controls engineer at a systems integrator, uh, I, you're very busy. You have an overloaded project schedule. And lo and behold, some uh, customer of a machine you shipped out six months ago is going to call up and ask you to help them. And the, the easiest thing will be to say, man, I'm really busy. I'm going to get someone else or can I get back to you later? And in reality, that's the most important call that you hope they make. You hope they come to you when they need something. So you don't want to look at that as a problem. You want to look at that as what you're actually working for is for those follow-up relationships with your end users and your customers. So to make sure that that's important. So one of my uh, early bosses told me, he said, no, that that is important. And if you need to come in here and tell me that your project's going to slip because you had to take care of a customer who called you, I'm going to say, good job. So you, you, you try to get through that um, because too often we're caught up in our daily work and that interruption bothers us. And, it, and we want to try to get out of that interruption instead of looking at it as, as maybe perhaps the most important thing you can do today. So I think that's one bit of advice to take away is those touches. And when someone reaches out and asks you to help them, it's not an inconvenience. It's, it's perhaps the most important thing you can do. I have a follow-up question to this that that you just made me think of, right? Because I think we're all balancing, hey, things that, you know, come into your day unexpectedly. Some may call them interruptions. Some may 
call them, you know, just a phone call, whatever it is, right? How do you balance that with continuing to go after the vision or the things that are going to take work that will impact things three or five years down the line, but they're not necessarily the things that that's urgent today. How do you balance that, Scott? Yeah, definitely. Right. It's a, it's an age old adage. Again, you can read a lot, lots of books about these kind of things. And I think it's important to continuously educate yourself and look for those answers. Chris, I don't know that there is one answer except to again, recognize this is perhaps the core of what your daily life is going to be about is balancing these things out and learning to balance them better and differently every day. Um, and then the, the flip side, you mentioned another set of words that uh, it really has set with me for a long time is doing the urgent over the important or the important over the urgent and how you balance those two things out. So sometimes just saying that out loud, is this really important or is this just urgent and how do I balance it out? So take a step back, rephrase the question, rephrase the thing in front of you that you're wondering about, give it a little different perspective and then see if your answer will be the same is another way you can balance that out, right? It's uh, just another bit of advice I received a long time ago. Taking a step back is is one of my favorite aspects about that. Look at it in a bit of a bigger picture. You know, you, yeah. you've referenced that, hey, there are a lot of books that can help out with this. And I know probably a lot of our listeners have read a bunch of them. Is there one that, that's been helpful to you or one that you typically recommend to people that are trying to develop as leaders or, or maybe just one that's come to mind as we've been having this conversation today? You know, it's um, there's a there's several books and I, and I uh, books and podcasts. It's a never ending process to continuously learn. Right. So but uh, boy, a favorite one. I really go back to the purpose, purpose driven stuff. And you get into the cynic stuff and about the purposes and the whys and those kind of books. And uh, because that's, I think, a really motivational part. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, the most powerful thing you do as you build a team and a company up is to have that motivation be very personal, very tangible to the people. So I would I would err on those kind of things. And if you're if you think you got that nailed, then you get into some more of the business strategy type of books. But uh, first, you got to know why you're even doing this and you got to have your people understanding and motivated well. And then, of course, you fine tune the system, you sharpen the blade. You can use a, a lot of analogies, but uh, it's the never ending search to get better is important along those lines. Uh, but if I had to start to start with the why, how's that for dropping a quote, huh? Simon Sinek, <laughs> can't beat it. Can't yep. beat it. Yep. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for the biggest events in the automation industry? If you are, you're going to want to hear about today's sponsor, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. A3 is the leading global automation trade association of the robotics, machine vision, motion control, and AI industries. They also throw some of the best events in the automation and manufacturing space. And for me, they're the source of some of the best connections I've made in the manufacturing industry. You might not realize this, but throughout the years, we've featured over 10 different A3 partners on this podcast. Now, whether we're talking about their annual business forum or their marquee event, the Automate Show, A3's events are the spot for building partnerships, exploring new technologies, and getting a pulse on the industry. If you're listening to this episode before June 2022, make sure to check out Automate 2022 taking place in Detroit, Michigan, June 6th through 9th. I, for one, will definitely be there. 
Head to AutomateShow.com for more information and to register for free today. And you can always learn what A3 has going on by visiting Automate.org. And now, back to today's episode. You know, funny that you bring up podcasts as well, because I'm actually going to reference another friend of the show, another podcast, uh, Joe Sullivan and the manufacturing executive. I was actually listening to your interview with him as I was getting ready for this. And and something there really jumped out at me. We're going to start transitioning to automation specifically sure. now yeah. in this part of the conversation. And, and you were talking to Joe a lot about, hey, you know, we think about automation in terms of automating a process that a person used to be doing or, you know, leveraging that to decrease the amount you're spending on labor. But I feel like kind of similar to an episode I did here, maybe five to 10 episodes ago, where I was talking to someone about the indirect ROI of a great customer experience. You were highlighting in that interview a lot of things that I would say are the indirect ROI of automation and the other things that can impact that don't necessarily fit into a spreadsheet, I think is the way you put it. Can you describe that a little bit? I'd love to hear a bit about that from your perspective. Yeah, we, we, we talked, like you said, for a good 30 minutes about this. Um, yeah, the, the ROI is really about where do you spend your money, right? As a business you get to choose where you're going to spend your capital, people call it, where you're going to spend your time and where you're going to spend your money. So, you know, where to spend it comes back to an ROI, basically, which is return on your investment. So you, you, we all do this personally in our personal lives as well. We don't call it that. But so you, you get into there's a return for my investment of money in my business. And it, it can be just purely a person replacer. It can be a necessary task, a quality improvement. And you're really just gauging amounts of money and where you're going to put them and you can do the math, right? It's a simple spreadsheet and it can get more and more complex. But then you look at what are you trying to create as a business? And this is where the discussion gets a little more colorful is what if you want to have a business that attracts a different kind of employee, one that says, I want to be part of this business long term. And I see that they're investing. There's a value to that. There's a value to say we don't just get the minimum and hire a few people, temp workers. We're investing in capital equipment. We're here long-term and we're gonna invest in high-tech capital equipment. And so now you're gonna attract a different kind of employee and your business is gonna have a little more stickiness. And that cost of employee retention is one, again, some, some of the more advanced ROI spreadsheets will have those calculations in there. But as a business leader, when you're looking at where am I gonna spend my money, what's my ROI, some of what you're trying to create as a business can be more involved than that. And it's not just the math of the numbers. It can be, I want to create a business and, and I want to go to the after work uh, dinner and tell my friends I got robots in my business because that'll get more customers for me, right? There's, there's these tangible things that they're real. They don't go in the spreadsheet, but they're very real. And that was just one of them. I, I, there's four or five of those topics, Chris, like that. But I think when you get at it, there's more to saying I'm going to invest in my business than just ROI for a piece of capital, yes or no. And I think those, quite honestly, as business leaders need to be considered a lot more than they are than they have been, especially as we talked earlier, the technology curves and the, the value of that in, of integrator bringing in some different automation and opening up new technology for you is going to be more than just the ROI. And I think that's an important takeaway. Well, I think what one one way I might paraphrase what what you said is it's around like employer brand, right? The fact yep. that you are a company that automates, that does things, 
in the manufacturing world in a high-tech fashion, right? People are going to be proud about that. People are going to enjoy their jobs more. They're going to be excited to talk about it. A lot of, you know, we, I talk to people a lot of times that those hiring dollars are where a lot of that ROI is when you're not having to bring in new people all the time. Yeah, for sure. And then the other part of the ROI is always the risk, the risk part. If I'm going to spend this money, is it really going to do what I need it to do? And there's a risk factor that goes into into play on that. And, and historically, a lot of people have maybe had, I tried to automate once and it didn't go so well, or th there's always those kind of stories out there. And again, I just push back to the technology is better. It's easier to use and get started on automation and don't give up because it, it really is key to the future of most businesses in manufacturing in the, in the North American region is having a really productive well-run auto um, manufacturing business so you can't stop doing it you may have had a bad experience well get back on it and if you've never done any automation get started right so the other part is you don't have to do a two million dollar big investment you can just get started with some automation get started with the conversations and then let it build as you go through your business and then those that risk calculation in your roi can change dramatically and you get some momentum and, and things change. And pretty soon, as you said, your your brand can be a completely different uh, company feel to your company. Well, you, you made me think of something important there, right? Just getting started with automation or, hey, what's what's happened if you tried automation before and you had a bad experience? And and I think I can say the the audience here at Manufacturing Happy Hour, they understand that, hey, Automation isn't just for the big guys anymore. Small, mid-size can do it. You just said it's like, hey, the future of manufacturing in, in America depends on that. So can you, you can you maybe share a story or an example of how like small to mid-size businesses um, have gotten started and scaled with automation? Yeah, sure. You can uh, pick a couple different examples. Um, there's a myriad of them throughout the years, of course. Um, but I think the, the one of the best examples is even just around a plastic injection molding machine or around a CNC machine and machine tending is a generic example of that, right? But, um, and it's a generic application for lack of a better word, but there's always intricacies to it. And, and when you start implementing that, and you, you're not just replacing the manual labor that's standing there as a cost, you're making the process more repeatable. And so you get higher utilization of your machine. So, uh, one of the best examples is, you know, a, a press manufacturer or a press operation may have six, eight, ten machines presses sitting there with a person in front of each one. And you start by automating the first one, and all of a sudden you realize you can pick up a few seconds on that press. And pretty soon you have shared enough time that you can add another program in, and it didn't cost you. You didn't have to go buy another injection molding press. So now your capacity increased as well as some cost savings, or maybe that person's moved to a higher value add. So you also can now charge for some assembly work or some inspection work on that part. So you're getting more money for the parts you're producing and you're producing more parts and you created free capacity on top of that. And, and when we have a few stories like that and those, those uh, operations realize that the next thing they wanna do is automate everything. Yeah, because they yeah. see a little taste and it was based on a simple ROI and it worked. But all of a sudden, these bigger things come out as I have excess capacity. And now I'm selling some value add as well. And the profit margins go up much more than the ROI. And I think that story 
is repeated over and over and over in the industry. And it's a really just a tangible example of a story without getting into specifics of anyone, but it's a very tangible, very real application or story that happens over and over every day. So again, you just get started and you, you realize these opportunities exist and uh, they're not so difficult to do either, right? It's another place. Get started on the simple ones. I feel like on on the flip side, I heard some great lessons on uh, lifetime customer value right there. Hey, do a good job on the first thing and they're going to be yep. looking at you for automating the next thing or doing the next project, all of that. Yeah, you become a, you become a partner in their business essentially, right? So you're a key enabler. Perhaps you're a necessary evil is a piece of capital. I have to have it to do some process and that exists and those are okay and it's good business and necessary. It's when you can bring that value above and beyond that and change someone's actual business and add value beyond those things that were even expected uh, that definitely turns into a partnership and, and you want to do more of that. And that's, I think that's one of the most satisfying parts of being in, in a business that helps enable other manufacturing businesses is uh, you get to multiply that and see those results very readily. Yeah. Yeah. Ch changing gears here in, in the this final half of our conversation and the final like bottom part of our drinks at the five star dive bar yeah, right now. Yeah. I have yeah. to ask you, we were chit chatting at the start about the automate show coming up in Detroit here in a couple of weeks when this episode comes out. And uh, I want to get a little more history from you as well, because you're a Michigan guy. The show's in Detroit. And before it was automate. It was something called the robot show. Correct. Can you tell, tell me a bit about yeah, that? It used to be called the robot and vision show. It was still uh, put on by the RIA, the robotic industry association out of Ann Arbor. And those guys are doing an awesome job changing over the last several years and improving and growing into the A3 and um, the automate show is a big part of that for sure. But that uh, the robot show, oh, maybe it was probably only 25 years ago instead of 30 years ago, I, I, I went over there and it's a, it's a few hour drive from West Michigan and a few of us went over and uh, check out the newest technology. And the, my uh, first takeaway from a show was I showed up over there with a couple of my friends and work coworkers and uh, there was a robo coaster there. Right. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And it would give you uh, one heck of a one heck of a roller coaster ride. Um, but that was one of the data points I walked away with. And I still remember that, uh, you know, through the through the years the the show grew and changed a bit, but it was called just robots and vision, maybe a little too narrow, but I think it was appropriate at the time because the technology was changing so fast in robotics and vision, but then between economic downturns and different cycles and the technology itself becoming more adapted to more places, it had, it had a little bit of uh, let's grow and change a little bit. And that's why it changed into automate. I was uh, with the RIA and the automate team when we did that. And I think that was a great turning point automation show. Now coming back to Detroit is exciting. It was in Cobo Hall back then. It was for years. Um, moved to Chicago as we outgrew and as Cobo was doing different things. Uh, we're really happy to be back in Detroit. It is the heart of automation. If, um, one of the things we talk about, if you look at a robot usage heat map, it's out there. It's publicly available. I'm sure Chris is going to put a link in it in his podcast <laughs> notes now. But um, it, it's definitely centered about the, this Midwest area. And it, it's really important takeaway to keep the heart of automation here and recognize that. And, uh, yeah, we really look forward to going to the show in a couple of weeks here. 
Yeah, I'm going to need to track down that heat map for the show notes. And by the way, for all those listening, everything Scott has mentioned will be in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. But you you gave me two questions to ask based on uh, based on that answer. And, and the first one, kind of a personal question, right? I mean, I said it, you're a Michigan guy. What has Michigan manufacturing meant to you, your career, and, and now mission as well? Oh, yeah. Nice question. Um, there's just a, a lot of people in Michigan, a lot of desire to, to work hard and show up and do good things. And I think not that it doesn't exist in other places, but uh, we definitely use that to our advantage here. And we, it, it's a bit of that motivational challenge thing I talked about earlier and a bit of that experience and a little bit of competition. Right. So because the concentration is here, we, we only not only compete for people and for customers, but compete to make a good business and try to do uh, better than our competition. And it's an important little motivator when you have a concentration of things. You see it out in Boston, you see it in Pittsburgh, you see it in California, in the Bay Area. Having all these companies concentrated together creates a little bit of that natural competition as well. Um, so you, you drive each other to improve every day as well. And, and we really want to help local manufacturers. We help manufacturers all around the world. But in reality, there's this home base feeling and this natural competitiveness. And it's a small world. We all know each other when we walk around Automate Show next week. It's going to be a, a lot of concentrated people. And you, you're going to have a lot of friends. I'm going to have a lot of people I call friends. It's yeah. not just people at a show, right? They're, they're friends. We've been around each other for a long time and competed and worked together and everything. And I think this is a natural way of saying why Michigan is um, – that it's the heart of that and for this industry for sure. Yeah, you you kind of hinted at what I was going to ask for my next question also. What do you personally get out of going to shows like Automate? Well, I think it's it's definitely changed over the years. I told you that first show I went to as a a young technical guy and I, I got to ride a roller coaster. That was cool. And then you go to all the different tech the booths and you see the technology and you you take away catalogs at the time because that's what you had to do. There was no internet to go searching later. So, you know, that's evolved into going. Um, I truly enjoy and I try to get my employees and my comrades, colleagues to go to other shows from other industries because you can see so many things in so many places, technology wise and problem solutions wise, that that opportunity doesn't exist in a lot of other ways or other formats except to go to the shows. But for me personally, now it's evolved into, it really is just a concentrated few days of time with a lot of different people and a lot of conversations, personally catching up, business catching up, and of course, technology catching up as well. But I will tell you, my nowadays, my uh, most important part of the show is getting to see the people. Um, but the technology is still there. It exists. It's awesome. But for me personally, it's evolved over the years for sure. Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I I haven't been doing shows as long as you have, but it is that uh, the connections with new people, right? And and, yep. and networking is the most common term we use for it, but it's really building relationships. I mean, I, I mean, Scott, from my perspective, it's always, hey, if I can walk away from a show with three to five new really good connections, or like, even, I'll even go as far as to say as you know, three to five new friends, like that's more valuable than the stack of business cards I'll walk away with as well. Yeah, no, I think I'll just put this uh, recommendation out there for you, uh, Chris, but for everybody going to the show, if you find one or two people, you know, ask them for an introduction to somebody else. So I, I view one of my biggest values is, and I know I did it for you at the A3 show, is 
hey, what kind of people you want to talk to that you don't know? And maybe I know them and we can put something together and I'll just go grab a friend of mine, tap him on the shoulder and come over here and say, here, here's Chris, here's Jake. You don't have to talk to Jake, but make sure you talk to Chris, right? <laughs> but um, no, I think it's an important that connection is the next level, right? It's not just to, to randomly find people, but proactively ask somebody you know or just talking to. Tell them what you want to know. And I, do you know anybody in this kind of arena? Can you help me connect to that person specifically or any of that stuff? And I think that's really a valuable time to, you mentioned to connect, right? To connect. Absolutely. I love that piece of advice. Hey, ask for other other connections that you might be able to make while you're there. Well, for everyone listening, Scott and I certainly hope to see you at Automate. I can't really guarantee that there's going to be a robo coaster there anymore. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll just leave that as a mystery to incentivize people to go. But uh, I know it's going to be a, a big party, for for lack of a better word, bringing, bringing some of these great, great minds together here in Detroit coming up. Yeah, for sure. Look forward to it. Uh, we'll see you there, right? Absolutely. And and as we wrap up, I, I really just have one more question. Like, is there anything we covered a lot of ground today? Scott, we talked about your background, talked about automation, leadership, automate, you name it. Is there anything you wish we would have covered that we didn't talk about yet? Yeah, I can chat forever about different things, Chris, <laughs> but uh, passionately, it, it really is dealing with people. And every day you do deal with people at work, you deal with people in your personal life. And that, that experience, and in generically, it's called a user experience, and you, you do different things. But I think it's really important to pay attention and put time and energy into those connections with the people and the experience that people have when they interact with you, when they interact with your products or your end services. Um, just remember, we do business with people. I think that's an important thing I say out loud often. So. Great advice. Admittedly, I thought you were going to say, I wish we would have talked about the Detroit Tigers or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> Go Cubs. Go Cubs. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, friend of the show, Jay Call, I know you just referenced him earlier. I'm sure he's happy to hear that, but uh, you know, I, I cheer for a different baseball team. So yeah, we yeah. won't go, we won't go there today. We'll keep it friendly. Scott, I look forward to having a beer with you and uh, in Detroit here soon, hopefully. And as we wrap up, what's the best way to connect with you and Mission? Yeah, you can go to uh, missiondesignauto.com and do that. Uh, look us up. Lots of different ways. We're very active out in the social marketing business and uh, trying to make it easy. And the, the first thing we're going to do is connect and we're going we're gonna to get on a video call and we're going to come see each other one way or the other. Either you're coming to my place or we're going to yours. That's how it's going to work. So you got to get to know each other well. And that's that's a promise. So. That's Midwestern Hospitality. I will have links to all of those to connect with Scott, to connect with Mission in the show notes. And again, Scott, thanks so much for jumping on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks. See you in Detroit. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Scott for jumping on today's show. As always, you can find everything we talk about at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 94. And this show notes page is literally at capacity. Do you want to see that robo coaster in action? Well, head to the show notes page. Do you want to check out that map to see where all the robots in the U.S. are? Head to the show notes page. Want to get a drink at the Itty Bitty Dive Bar in Holland, Michigan? Show notes page. Want to register for Automate? Well, that's also on the show notes page. Or since this is your last chance to register, act fast. Head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2022 to register today. 
That event is June 6th through 9th, 2022 in Detroit, Michigan, and I certainly hope to see you there. A big thank you to the Association for Advancing Automation for not only hosting that event, but for sponsoring this show leading up to that event as well. I'm excited to do interviews there on site, and I hope you're excited to go to learn everything that's new in the automation space, and as Scott said, connect with a bunch of people that can impact your career. Again, register for free today at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2022. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Spotify or on iTunes. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. It's not too hard. It just needs to be a couple sentences. I assume if you're listening on those platforms, you can just hit that five-star button pretty easily. But if you want to go there on your desktop or on your smartphone, for example, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes or manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Spotify will take you right where you need to be. And with that, that's it for this week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week, not only here on the podcast, but we hope to see you at Automate 2022. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.